This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is the story of Matangi's dairy development, detailed in an 80-page book by the father and son combination of Harry and Andrew Mowbray, adapted for broadcast as historic souvenirs on Free FM 89.0, proudly supported by New Zealand on air. Matangi's March to Daring Manufacture As we drive from Hamilton's urban sprawl eastward, the countryside comes to the fore amid lifestyle blocks and comfortable family homes. Now slow down a little to appreciate the landscape that's been the foundation place for two of New Zealand's behemoths of industry as we near the centre of Matangi. One of the first indicators of this history reveals itself when we spot the poured concrete historic houses architect Frederick Daniels designed, known affectionately as the Seven Sisters, and across the road, their twin brothers. On the corner lies a dilapidated cheese factory that's experienced reinventions of itself, from workers' accommodation to play centre. But... Sweep round the corner into Tauferi Road and we see a building, once the cornerstone of New Zealand's dairy industry. Yet, it's more than that. It's where economic well-being of a fledgling New Zealand industry is assured, with the focus on not only the nation's, but the world's largest dairy factory at Matangi. It's this site that nurtures the beginning of Fonterra, the expansion of Glaxo, and the birth of famous everyday brands such as Angkor and Highlander. New Zealand already has established dairy companies, so as a first step to milk powder production, the Nathans extol to farmers the virtues of going into such a new venture. In 1904, Nathans secure the rights to a process it imports from abroad to use in their Makino dairy factory, strategically built within eight miles of Halcombe, Fielding and Cheltenham. Yet the new method won't work well. A challenge for Joseph Nathan and company to perfect a milk-drying process of theirs, which they patent and decide to install in Waikato. It justifies designing a factory ideal to produce dried milk powder, so Nathan's engage Hamilton-based architect Frederick C. Daniel, whose speciality is just that, paving the way to building New Zealand's largest dairy factory. The first dairy factory in Waikato to give Nathans and Glaxo a nod of approval is the Waiho Valley Dairy Company. The company commits to converting its cheese factory at Waiho, five miles west of Te Araha, to produce milk powder. All its output, 
Joseph Nathan and Company Limited agrees to purchase and, if after 12 years they have not already done so by then, to buy the buildings. The Waiho Valley Dairy Company Glaxo Department proceeds to call tenders for supply of machinery and equipment. Its factory finally opens December the 6th, 1916, having cost £5,800 for renovation and workers' cottages and £5,500 for its machinery and equipment. Since 1884, a branch railway line runs between Hamilton, past Martigny and on to Cambridge, carrying passengers and goods. In 1902, the local railway station opens called Tamahere. It's renamed Martangi in 1906, the year Martangi Post Office is launching a telegram service. The railway service has rail sidings added at Martangi, as well as a station master and maintenance crew. Development of Matangi is set to take off. Matangi School opened in 1910 with 141 pupils and six teachers. A committee of six suppliers, led by Messrs Lee Martin and H. Pacey of the New Zealand Dairy Association with Joseph Nathan and Company Glaxo Limited, meets to discuss how amalgamating the different factories supplying the Matangi Dairy Factory could offer mutual benefit. They form a new entity. New Zealand Dairy Association Group. Meanwhile, Matangi's growing. Joseph Nathan and Company Limited relies on good faith for farmers to reach agreement with the New Zealand Dairy Association Group. By the time its new dairy factory for making Glaxo dried milk opens in 1919, more amalgamation of farmers' interests has widened the way to world markets trading now as New Zealand Cooperative Dairy Company Limited. Already, Matangi's is the largest milk factory in the country, able to process as much as 25,000 imperial gallons a day. That's 110,000 litres a day. To cope with its increasing tempo of life, Matangi built folk stores, marshalling yards and its community hall, Matangi School opens in 1910 with 141 pupils and six teachers. In 1921, it's an early customer of the Central Waikato Electric Power Board, along with 12 local households also connected. Truly, Matangi is on the map. After Joseph Nathan dies in 1912, World War I swiftly follows, prompting the firm's London office to insist now is the time to ramp up New Zealand's dairy output to bolster food for the millions of men and women on the move doing their patriotic duty across Europe in the armed forces or as refugees. The disrupted supply lines and Britain's rationing of food back home created demand for food that lasts, travels well 
and is nutritious. Nathan's does its best to export to United Kingdom markets its well-known Anchor and Glaxo products. It gives the impetus in New Zealand to make big plans for the most technologically advanced milk factory in the world. It'll involve building a factory which has more milk under one roof than anywhere else. It will put out 1,826 tonnes of Glaxo milk powder in a year. Under wartime conditions to achieve, it entails assembling a building workforce for this ambitious project while so many men are on military service overseas and building materials scarce. Despite the difficulties, the farmer suppliers are still negotiating and amalgamating their interests to achieve maximum efficiency, delivering 25,000 gallons of milk a day to the new dried milk Matangi Dairy Factory. In such spirit of goodwill, their talks get to the stage after World War I to bring New Zealand Dairy Association and Glaxo, the Waiho Valley Dairy Company and the Waikato Cooperative Dairy Company to agree on forming one entity representing all. The New Zealand Cooperative Dairy Company is the magic which creates New Zealand's foremost dairy company. It will ultimately, after merging with Kiwi, form Fonterra, New Zealand's biggest company. It has come a long way since Joseph Nathan developed the dried milk industry in the Waikato. It proves to be a huge undertaking for the Nathan directors to guide it on its way with all the associated costs for building and equipping new factories. Between 1919 and closing in 1987, the massive Matangi Dairy Factory produces milk powder, condensed milk and cheese in such quantity it's difficult to anticipate an end to it. The London office of Joseph Nathan and Company Limited expresses warm appreciation of all that Joseph Nathan's sons, Fred and David Nathan, have achieved. Nevertheless, with such huge financial outlay in New Zealand, before we confront the future, we should delve deeper into its past. The company's London office questions it, suggesting it might be opportune for David Nathan to resign his role as chairman of the New Zealand company and retire. That's rejected. But he's decided to take a break in Australia at the end of March 1920. Sadly, on the 20th of March, David Nathan takes ill, is rushed to hospital, and shortly after admission he suffers haemorrhage and dies. It's likely the massive stress and long hours spent setting up the Matangi enterprise are to blame. In 1918, David Nathan, the chairman of directors of Joseph Nathan & Company Limited, writes a letter to Mr. H. E. Pacey of the New Zealand Dairy Association with whom he's become quite friendly. 
Worrying about the cost of the work at the Matangi factory, he remarks, I don't like these very large factories. They seem too big. He also comments on the somewhat strained relationship, however, between Nathan's and the New Zealand Dairy Association, who at this stage had actually led to litigation, saying he thinks they should try and sort things out among themselves to avoid any more 800-pound to 1,000-pound lawyers' bills. That particular disagreement is duly settled out of court, and the factory built by Mr. R. Sanders to Frederick C. Daniels' design for a cost of about £140,000, covering the village, factory, and fitting out of buildings, opens amid huge fanfare. We hark back to when the main factory, the fifth among smaller ventures which preceded at Matangi, is officially declared open by no less than the Prime Minister W.F. Bill Massey, on November the 12th, 1919, a speech the Waikato Times headlines next day, where Glaxo is made, opening of new factory Matangi leads the world. Prime Minister's congratulations. Stating, The Prime Minister, who received an ovation on rising to speak, congratulated the suppliers and the district upon the erection of the magnificent factory. He had been informed the building was the biggest and best equipped in the world, and having inspected the place, he quite believed this. The factory was proof that people of the Waikato had confidence in themselves, their district, and the great daring industry. During his stay in Europe, he had seen a good deal of dried milk where it was greatly appreciated. Personally, he didn't want for anything better. He thought there wasn't the slightest doubt dried milk had come to stay, and he was satisfied that in time to come milkmen would be dispensed with altogether. People would purchase their milk in solid state from the grocer. The dried milk industry was comparatively new, and great credit was due to its pioneers, Joseph Nathan and Company. Mr. Massey was also reported as saying, in 1916 to 17, Dried milk manufactured in New Zealand was 542 tonnes. That at the time seemed a very large quantity. The following season, however, the amount increased to 2,950 tonnes, while last season it's 3,225 tonnes. Therefore, it's easy to predict output during the season now commencing would show a still further increase. It would be necessary to increase the productiveness of the soil and go in more for scientific farming and dairying, so that land and animals already producing would be made to increase their yield. He had, he declared, faith in the country and in the farmer. It was 40 years ago, he said, since he first came to Waikato, and he could honestly say he liked no place better. He had seen many countries. While in England, he met the heads of the greatest commercial departments of the empire and believed the interviews he had had a great deal to do with the fact that the Dominion got the amount of shipping it did. Mr. Massey urged upon them the importance of increasing productiveness. If they all did this, all would be well with this glorious little country. He had the greatest pleasure in declaring the factory open and once again offered most hearty congratulations to the directors, suppliers and district.
Residents of the district complain as factory traffic increases where on Matangi Street. Who's going to reimburse local councils for the increased maintenance, they ask. Other negotiations involve the railways department over building good sheds and an idea to harness hydroelectric power in the Waikato. Yet there's no doubting that the Glaxo factory is a model factory of its kind, set in extensive gardens and proudly shown to overseas visitors to the company's head office in Hamilton while they're visiting the Matangi Glaxo factory. However, there are setbacks ahead as the complex faces the future. A fire having burnt down part of the factory, cheese is made at the factory for a short time in 1923. Another fire in 1932 also needs rebuilding part of the factory. It's not surprising when you consider that sometimes staff are working in room temperatures exceeding 47 degrees Celsius. With the boilers running and inadequate ventilation, it's a recipe for a fire. Yet progress is relentless. Glaxo goes from success with health foods, vitamins and supplements to formulating pharmaceuticals. Glaxo laboratories are clearly at the cutting edge of medical science. It's one of the biggest players in producing penicillin. At one stage, Glaxo's output of the drug makes up most of Britain's production. Also, it carries out pioneer work to produce the first British poliomyelitis vaccine. By 1996, Glaxo becomes the second largest pharmaceutical group in the world. Thus, in December 2000, a name born in Frontier, New Zealand, is hoisted to the top of the premises of the merged GlaxoSmithKline conglomerate, become the world's largest pharmaceutical group. Its success is built on the significant part Matangi plays in creating the huge Glaxo and Pontera companies, these two companies being the largest spawned in New Zealand's history. Their emergence at Matangi is of national significance, justifying protecting the remaining structures for future generations. It's why, since the mid-2000s, the factory has become the centre of an historic precinct with historic buildings moved in to form a square beside it. Canning. Recovering memories of Matangi Dairy Factory's venture into canning after the company records are lost isn't exact science. We know it to be flaws inherent in an overseas canning patent that wastefully wipe out the profits of the first companies to engage in it in New Zealand. For the dairy industry, it offers the lure of long-life cans of tinned condensed milk. Matangi's in the vanguard, in the race to take up technology after attracting the South Island Enterprise Milk Preserving Works to buy up the ailing Matangi company, bringing in its brilliant engineer, William Sim, to sort out faulty machinery so condensed milk cans won't leak. It's he who takes out his own patents on perfecting a process he describes in his application as 
and automatic contrivance. For all we know, it may be incorporated in New Zealand's first fully mechanised can-making factories based on American technology. Wattie starts canning peaches in 1935 using purchased cans and in 1939 looks to manufacturing their own cans. We don't know if theirs are automated as apparently cans are also made manually. It's during these years that Glaxo weighs up whether its output from its Bunnythorpe factory will be sufficient for its supply. Being confident, the company ceases by 1936 all its Waikato operations, leaving Glaxo's Bunnythorpe plant to take up the slack. When the New Zealand Cooperative Dairy Company takes over production at Mautangi, the factory makes casein for a while before adding space for the can-making factory and box-making facilities for the manufacture of condensed milk. In 1936, the rate of production reaches 20 million cans of condensed milk a year. Clive Jensen, an ex-manager of the Matangi factory, says he recalls it operating in 1975, but on returning in 1982, the equipment is gone. Shifted, he thinks, to Hamilton operations. In this way, lots of history is lost. Once beyond the recall of living memory, there's much more than meets the eye at the Matangi factory complex. Transport. Matangi and Tehawamutu factories are first in the world to deploy milk tankers, a move that makes for huge efficiencies in milk transport and allows developing the giant dairy plants of today. This is a major turning point for New Zealand's industry Till now, the time-worn tradition is that farmers deliver their heavy milk cans down at the farm gate after milking, or to a central point, for a factory truck to collect twice a day. Matangi's first factory was typical of its kind. Milk comes through a concrete landing at the front of the factory twice a day, by horse and cart, or motor lorry from the farms in the area. Samples of the milk being taken for testing the milk is then weighed and tipped into the holding vats below the landing floor. This they called a tipping station. We wondered what the diamond-patterned steel embedded in the landing floor is for. Apparently, this steel makes it easy to slide cans across the floor, yet protects people from slipping over. An old photo reveals Matangi's upgraded factory with its new boiler house and power station. 
along with the can and box-making factory. Clearly visible is evidence that the factory is still using milk cans seen along the front of the factory and the old boiler flue still standing. It's destined to be knocked down. Only a small part remains, but it won't go willingly. Glaxo has a photographer to record the event. The first explosion blows him off his feet. All the east-facing windows blown out. But the, the flue remains intact. the different dimensions of the modern tanker, designs for milk reception change. At the front of the factory, new concrete surface extends the flooring outward, creating a dungeon under the new floor with access possible there only through a hole in the floor. Hidden in that void are the old steps to and from the tipping vat. Windows and walls are gone, making way to receive farm milk in the modern horizontal vats in bulk from the tankers. Later, even those built-in receiving tanks will go, all openings blocked off and giant freestanding tanks built on concrete plinths at the factory front. During World War II, production at Matangi turned to supporting the war effort, producing condensed milk for United States forces. A New Zealand strike in 1941 by man-powered workers means farmer suppliers having to work the factory by night while still farming during the day. In 1946, the Matangi factory is to benefit by building a standalone coal-fired 3-megawatt power station its high-pressure steam will propel the generator turbines and the low-grade steam still sufficient to provide clean, boiling-hot condensate sufficient to run the factory before it returns to the boiler, thus maintaining a very high thermal efficiency. Finished in 1947, the project is one of New Zealand's first to demonstrate a cogenerative power station satisfying both Matangi's steam and electricity requirement. Evaporation and spray drying. After World War II, considerable investment made in new plant at Matangi lets experiments be tried. The factories set up in 1962 to try manufacture of skim milk and anhydrous milk fat for reconstituted condensed milk. Once proven to work, a full-sized five-effect evaporator set follows in 1965. These are the practical problems, testing the ingenuity of scientists who discover what the directors need to know, guiding their decisions on future investment. At this stage, Matangi is an extraordinarily versatile site, able to make a whole range of products. Canned evaporated milk, technical rennet caseinate, baby milk powder and whey powder. 
This episode of Historic Souvenirs on Free FM 89.0, researched by Harry and Andrew Mowbray, and adapted for broadcast, proudly supported by New Zealand On Air. Join us again same time next week. You'll be most welcome. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.